Next on Abounding Grace, we see how the Lord can use the trials in our lives to help us and others too. One of the unseen benefits when you and I go through a trial and pass through a testing is how it infuses compassion and mercy into our lives, where we actually care for someone in someone's situation that we've never cared for before. It didn't even affect us that way. We would hear of this and this and this and this, but because now we've gone through it, we kind of understand what they're going through, don't we? Amazing what the Lord does. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my prayers. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. When we're faced with a trial, we normally start praying, Lord, get me out of this. But perhaps a better prayer might be in light of today's Bible study, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? We'll discover today that God wants to use those trials and testings in our lives to help us grow and to teach us something important, among other things. Pastor Ed Taylor is currently in Romans, and today on Abounding Grace, we give attention to chapter 5 and verses 3 through 5. Paul the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us what a glorious benefit it is that God uses trials and testings in our lives. I mean, really, who of us really likes trials and testings? Anybody here? I'm sure some, oh yeah, Pastor Ed, I love trials. You know what? Next time you get one, just give it to me. I'll take your trial. None of us are like that. Let's be real here. These verses fly right in the face of who we really are and how we think, which is what happens when we study the Bible. There will be things that we come across that fly right in the face of our conventional thinking, maybe the way that we were raised. And we're here to learn and be stretched because none of us really, really like trials and testings. We would rather buy a book, wouldn't we? Say, so let's just stop the Bible study right now. We've got the book for you to learn how to grow as a Christian. But it doesn't happen that way. The problem of pains and sorrows, they, they come to us all. Every single one of us face sorrows and sadness. Every one of us trials and testings. Every one of us pains and problems. Every single one of us. You can jot it down in your notes. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said it would be so. This isn't a surprise to us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might have. He didn't say one day you might face a few. He said, you're going to have it. Expect it. Know it. And now Paul says, not only that, he connects that. That word, not only that, connects us back to what we learned last time as we study the first few verses. Therefore, verse 1, having been justified by faith, look at the benefits of being saved. We have peace with God, and to that we say amen. And we have access to God, and to that we say amen. And we have hope in God, and we say amen. And we have the grace of God, and we say amen. And we have trials and testings, and we say, no way. That's how we are. <laughs> but there are a benefit in our lives. There are tools in the hand of our Heavenly Father to grow us, to teach us, to train us. And throughout the scriptures, we learn that trials come to all of us. We've looked at it before, haven't we? The Golden Gate Bridge is this engineering marvel. 
And what we focused on in the past is how its suspension system is very unique and very integral to the strength of that bridge. It has these pillars that go all the way down into bedrock as a foundation. And then the bridge itself is spanned with this tension between the suspension that if you were to cut the tension, you would lose the bridge. But do you know that engineering, engineers also had to factor in different loads that the bridge could hold? For instance, there were three different loads and stresses that they had to plan for when they were designing the bridge. The first one was the dead load, and this was simply the weight of the bridge itself. They had to design it in such a way that it could hold its own weight when it was empty. The second was called the live load, and this is the weight of the daily traffic that the bridge would carry every day. Then the third load was the wind load, and this was the pressure of the storms that would beat upon that bridge. So not only did they have to think of individual of each of the loads, but they also had to design it in such a way where all of those loads would be happening at the same time. Do you know? It's very similar to the way you and I are designed in Jesus Christ. There are different loads that we carry every day. For instance, the live load. Well, the live load is the load of ourself. We carry that every day. Have you noticed? Everywhere you go, guess what? You're there. You can't get away from it. You can run away. You can take off. And when you get there, you know what you find out? You're still there. The live load, we carry the load of our flesh. We carry the load of our tendencies, our sinful tendencies. We carry the load of our past. Not only do we have the dead load of self, and it's the live load of daily living. And so we have the dead load of who we are, and then we have the live load of the things that happen to us every day, the things that might happen at work tomorrow, the things that might be going on this afternoon, the, the information you might gather that you don't set the, the, the right way with you. And then the final load, or, well, it's the wind load of emergencies and crises that we all face the things that you can't plan for, the things that, that you're uncertain of, the things that things are going well and no problem, and then boom, a crisis hits. And Jesus has built in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to bear all of those loads in his strength and his power. And one way we find weaknesses is by going through a test or a trial. Now, I know for some of you right now, you're in the midst of a heavy-duty thing that's going on. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be financial, it could be all sorts of things, even unique to who you are right now. And I would encourage you in a time like this not to check out of the Bible study, not to come to the attitude, well, Ed, you know, you've never been down my road. You've never experienced what I've experienced. You're not living my life right now. So what kind of authority do you have in my life to speak that, those types of truths? And I'd say, well, the question really isn't for Ed as much as it is for the Holy Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul. Because I know at times we could say, well, wait a minute, what about the Paul? How could Paul share with me these kind of things? Has he ever gone through anything? Well, I'm glad you asked. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me show you. You see, Paul, he's not only writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's also writing because of the participation of his life. He was a real man who went through real things. He wasn't a superhero. He wasn't above trials. As a matter of fact, he went through some serious, serious things. And so as I share with you today the truths of trials, understand that the precious work of the Holy Spirit is working in your heart today. And Paul, he knew what it was like. Pick up with me in verse 22 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Did Paul go, any, go through anything? Well, let's see. He's defending himself to the church in Corinth. That's the context here. Some people have come against him. Some people have said he wasn't real. Some people had said he, he wasn't a serious pastor. He wasn't a serious leader. That, that they were trying to undermine his authority in the church there. And we read as he defends himself, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. And so now he's beginning to give some insight in his life. And he feels foolish. He feels like he shouldn't even have to do this, but he will. 
in I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Stripes were beatings. In prisons, he was in prison more frequently. We know of at least four times Paul was imprisoned. In deaths, often he says at the end of verse 23, he faced death, the reality of death. From the Jews, verse 24, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That was the, the beating with the flagellum. It was a heavy-duty beating. He had that not once, not twice, five times. Most men died under these types of beatings. Most men died very, very rapidly and quickly. It didn't take much to put a person under because the beating was so bad, but he endured it five times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, if that wasn't enough. Can you imagine what his back looked like? Never healed the scars. Never really could walk a day without feeling the pain of what he's gone through for the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul says he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And he's not talking about being drunk, you know, or high here. He wasn't, oh, I was stoned, man. No, 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 no. This is literally stoning. And these weren't the little stones that you do in your, in your landscaping of your front yard. You know, you kind of chuck them and kids are breaking windows with them. These were stones. When they stoned a person, they would take the largest stones that they could possibly carry to the weight that would extend and hurt their arms. And they would often beat the person down and drop the stones on them. And he was there. We read of that in Acts when we studied through. He says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine being shipwrecked? I mean, you're out maybe on a cruise and, and, you know, the whole guys that run the whole thing, you know, the captain and everybody jump overboard and they just leave you floating. And you're like, oh, man, can you imagine that happening once? You probably won't go back for a second time, huh? Three times. He wasn't on any cruise ship either. He was on slave ships, and he was not only wandering out in sea, but also shipwrecked to the point where they crashed on land. That's Paul who's writing to us. I've been shipwrecked. He says, a night and a day I've been in the deep. Commentators are confused on that, what it meant to be in the deep. Was he overboard? Was he, was he just alone? Was he, was he flailing? Did he come close to death in water? We don't exactly know, but whatever it was, it was very deep, and it was a whole night and a day that he remembered. Verse 26, in journeys often, he was always on the move, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. Remember, Paul would often take offerings to different church, from different churches to, different, to the poor churches, and he would help, and, and that would make him someone that the robbers and the bandits would go after, so he was always in trouble, always with robbers, perils of my own countrymen, verse 26. So his own people were against him. So he would, what do you think? When your own people are against you, you turn to the Gentiles, right? Where he says, I was in peril of the Gentiles. I will, it's okay, I'll run to the city, in perils of the city. Well, then I'll run to the wilderness. Okay, there were perils in the wilderness too. The brother, it never let up. He was always, something was going on for the cause of Jesus Christ. And there was never rest in his life. There was never physical rest. There were people always coming against him. He says, perils of the city, perils of wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. He says in verse 27, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often. And he was never able to rest. He was hungry, it says, and thirsty. He says, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I mean, that would be enough, wouldn't it be? I mean, somebody comes to you with those credentials and they start talking to you about trials and temptations. You would say, you know, I'll listen to you. You know what it's like. I compare what I'm going through with what you've gone through, and, and I can see that God has really given you some wisdom through those trials. He's really taught you a few things, but you know, it doesn't end. He has one more thing. One more thing, he says in verse 28. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. You know what I call this? I call this a pastor's heart. Do you know that you don't need to be a pastor to have a pastor's heart? You know what it's like to wake up in the morning and have the church on your mind? 
or to go to bed at night and not be able to sleep because of a family issue that's going on in the church or a serious situation that you may not be able to solve, but it's heavy on your heart and you're interceding for the church and you're wondering what's going on with the church and you hope this family got home okay and you hope this situation works out and you hope this marriage makes it and you hope these kids come through and you hope this pregnancy takes. Do you know what that's like? It's constantly on the mind of a pastor and a leader. And and if you haven't experienced that, then I'm going to encourage you to pray for a pastor's heart. That that the care and concern that you have would be more than just the four walls of your home. But like Paul, he says, look, I've gone through all these things, but let me tell you something. On top of that, daily, my heart's for the church. My heart's for my fellow brothers. My heart is for those that are in the church. I'm, I'm not just thinking of myself. All these trials, all these testings have made it very selfish in my life, but then God has dropped in me a pastor's heart that all I really care about is the church. I don't even care about myself anymore. I'm not even taking care of myself. I've got all these things going on, and I care for the church. And if you haven't really had that type of heart toward the church, I'm going to highly encourage you, pray for a pastor's heart, whether you think you have a call to the ministry or not. You know, here's a neat thing. You start praying for a pastor's heart, and God might drop a call into the ministry at the same time. So I don't really care about the church. Really? Is that your heart? You don't really care about the church. You don't really care about the marriages that are so messed up in our church, the families that are so concerned about what's going on. The families, the young moms that are praying that their baby doesn't, doesn't, well, doesn't miscarry. Every day, the cares of this church. The church isn't a business. It's not run by CEOs. Church is an organism filled with people with real needs. And a pastor and a leader is going to carry those needs. It's going to have them on their heart. And I know many times we, we don't have the solution. Many times things will come to us and all we can do is pray and you might even walk away. Well, all they could do is pray, but friends, that's all we could do. All we could do is point you to Jesus Christ as your sufficiency and your help and your strength. And you see trials, you know what they do? They stir up our lives to start thinking not about ourselves, but about others. You see, can you listen to Paul today about trials and testings? The answer is yes. But you know, when you go through a trial, when you go through a testing, do you know that also qualifies you to speak into someone's life when they're going through something? Look at 2 Corinthians. You're already there. Look at chapter 1. And so the body ministry takes place. I mean, if you really want to know what the heart of a missionary is, talk to a missionary. Talk to someone that's left. They left their family. They've left their home. They've sold their goods, and they've moved to another country. And talk to them about what's on their heart day and night, 24-7, 365. It's the people. It's the work of the people. It's the the gathering together of the saints, the salvation of the lost. I mean, when you go through something, you say, well, why am I going through this? It could just be that God's going to bring someone else into your life so that you're going to be able to speak into their lives the truths of God's word with authority. Look at verse 3, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians. God redeems everything in our lives, guys. Did you hear that? God redeems everything. He uses everything in our lives for the betterment of our lives church, his precious bride. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. So where do you really get comfort from? From the God of all mercies in all of our tribulation. He's our comfort. He's our help. So that why? We might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And so how we, got, we have to guard ourselves from self-centeredness when trials come into our lives. Because God wants to use them in our lives so that we might comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. 
Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. And if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, for 7, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will you partake of the consolation. And so we can listen to Paul when he tells us about trials and testing because he's been through it. He knows what it's like. One of the unseen benefits when you and I go through a trial and pass through a testing is how it infuses compassion and mercy into our lives, where we actually care for someone in someone's situation that we've never cared for before. It didn't even affect us that way. We would hear of this and this and this and this, but because now we've gone through it, we kind of understand what they're going through, don't we? Amazing what the Lord does. Now back to Romans 5. What do trials do in our lives? Well, they do many things. And Paul says we can glory in our tribulations. That's easier said than done, I know. That, that we can come to a point where we glory in our tribulations. The word tribulations next to it, you could write the word crushings. That's what it means. It's like, ouch. We can glory in our crushings. It comes to us by way of the olive press. As they would put olives in the olive press. And in order to extract the precious oil from the olives, you know what they do to the olives? They crush them. And they grind them. And they grind them. And they crush them. And they grind them. And you think, wait a minute. We can glory in the crushings and the grindings of life? Paul says, yes. How? And why? I mean, how is it possible? Why should we glory in that? Listen, it's in those times of crushings and tribulations that God brings us to a place where we cannot do anything. We can't do anything. Our lives, we learn, are literally out of our hands. Here's a problem that we face. We like to help God out a little bit. We like to see things in our lives, and we're just going to jump in and help them out a little bit. When there's a need, we'll figure it out, especially you guys. We'll figure it out for you, honey. I'll get it all together. Here's the schematics. This is how it's going to go. No, you don't know how it's going to go. You got to trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't you? Not lean on your own understanding. You see, if I can get out of the situation, if I can wiggle out of it, if I can work it out, you know what? I'll try it. I will. I mean, who of us wants to go through a tribulation? If the first hint of trial in my life, my first thought is, Boy, I want this to leave. I'm going to figure out a way out of this. I don't want to go through this. I can see, even of what I can see in the trial, I don't want to go through it. And yet, my flesh, it wants so much to be free from pain. But when trials come, when I can't do a thing, and when a crushing comes where I can do nothing, you know what I do? I cry out to the Lord. I throw my hands up and surrender. I can't do anything about this. I heard what the doctor said. I've seen my bank account. I know it's, I heard what she said to me. I know what he's, what am I supposed to do? Here I am, I'm laid out. We can glory in tribulations because they bring us to the place where we cry out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul cries out about this thorn in his flesh, this tent stake is the word that's used, this crushing, painful situation. We don't know exactly what it was. There are a lot of theories we're not told. What we do know is it was so painful and so crushing that he cries out not once, not twice, but three times. And the Lord answers him very carefully, very measured, very matter-of-factly, very confident, very compassionate, very merciful. He says, Paul, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And Paul, and church, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need anything else but my grace, and my presence in your life. It would be much easier, don't you think, if God would just eliminate trials and tribulations altogether? <laughs> you're right. 
It would be so much easier just say, hey, you know, just, I mean, take the devil out of the picture, please, and, and take my fleshly body and give me my new body, give me my new mind. I mean, just deliver me from this. But God isn't going to do this, this side of eternity, because it becomes just plain hard to live in these tough times. But here's a truth to hold on to. You ready? Hold on to this. Hang on to this. In the midst of trial, see, there are three categories of people here today. You know that, right? Number one, you're either in the midst of a trial right now, and you know what I'm speaking of. You know exactly. This is speaking right to some areas in your life. You're in the middle of one. Or, number two, you are coming out of a trial, and you're going, oh, I'm learning all those. I already learned those lessons. That Thank you. Confirmation. Wonderful. I'm, oh, yes. And then the third category, you know, is there's a trial just up ahead, right around the corner just up there. You don't see it. I don't see it, but there's one right up ahead. For some, it's small. For some, it's big. But there's one right up ahead for us. But here's a truth to hang on to. Here's a truth to hold on to. If you want to make it, you'll make it. If you don't want to make it, you won't. I mean, if you really want to stand fast on the promises of God through this trial, you will, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But if you want to throw up your hands and quit and retreat, then God will let you do that too. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And Pastor Ed, you just said something that I'd love for you to elaborate on. In light of the trials we face, you said, if you want to make it, you'll make it. If you don't want to make it, you won't. Those are powerful truths that, if embraced, will really get you out of the difficulty that you're in. As I think through Uh, teaching through, preparing a Bible study, knowing the lives of people in our church, knowing the lives of those listening in on the radio broadcast, like you listening right now, have great trial and great difficulty. The end that that trial from, from the perspective of God is to make you stronger. That end of the trial from the perspective of your own humanity or, or the reality of the spiritual warfare with the devil is for you to quit. And so these thoughts of, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it, start to take root in our lives. It becomes a very dark, hopeless cycle. But I do know the spark of the Holy Spirit and the power of God within you in the midst of trial is that if you want to make it, you will, because the power of God is resonant within you to get you through any and everything that you face. And it is a decision in your mind either to cooperate with the power of God or to give up. And it's always too soon to give up in the midst of a difficult trial, but rather to hold on to the promises of God. And I know it's hard, so please don't, un- don't misunderstand the reality of the fact that I have too have been through great trial. And it's interesting, for those of you listening in on this Roman study, these studies were delivered before the biggest trial I ever experienced in my life. And yet God it sounds, as I listen back to them myself, it sounds as if God was preparing me and prepping me to walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death that I and my family have ever been through. And I believed it before that major trial, and I believe it even more now, six and a half years later, uh, after uh, the loss of our son. And I'm just letting you know that I'm standing today by the grace of God And the trial hasn't actually gone away. In some cases, it's gotten much worse with drama and difficulty that surrounds. You know, the actual event is over, but the drama and difficulty with other people still continues. 
but God is more faithful, more powerful, more loving, more caring. And let me repeat it to you on the other side. You ready? If you want to make it, you'll make it. And if you don't want to make it, you'll be swallowed by the difficulty and you'll lose the consciousness of God. So stay strong, friend. Love you, praying for you, and I want to encourage you, stay strong in the grace of God as he empowers you to face what you're facing right now. That is very helpful and encouraging. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is a great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.